0: Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast, brought to you by Farmers Guardian and the CLA. We're your hosts for this week. It's me, Farmers Guardian editor, Ben Briggs.
1: And me, Farmers Guardian news editor, Olivia Mitchley. We'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Subscribe through all your favourite platforms, whether that's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or Acast, to ensure you stay up to date with new episodes.
0: Coming up this week, If, like us, you're missing the show season and all the fun and camaraderie that comes with it, we'll hear from our livestock editor, Katie Jones, on Farmers Guardian's new competition, which not only gives you the chance to show off your livestock in the pages of FG and on its social media platforms, but also being with a chance of winning a cash prize. More on that later in the show.
1: But first, and for regular listeners of the show, you'll have heard us talking about drought and the impact this year's weather could have on farmers and growers across the board. Well, this week we're looking at water policy in more depth. What does the government need to do to help agriculture manage its water better? And what can we learn from our neighbours overseas? Well, Jess Fredenberg has been finding out. You're still ploughing on and so are we. Get Farmer's Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmer's Guardian. Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com forward slash subscriptions today.
2: A couple of weeks ago, I talked to two farmers on this podcast about how a lack of rain was impacting things on the ground. Today, we're taking a look at the issue again, but this time from a national policy perspective. If things can be so bad that farmers are flooded out one month in one part of the UK, while others are crying out for water just a few months later, or even at the same time, what is going wrong with the management of this precious asset, and how can it be fixed? I've been talking to Innes Thompson at the Association of Drainage Authorities about what we can learn from other countries, including France, Spain and Portugal. But first, I caught up with Dr. Mari Barnes, a hydrologist by training and the NFU's National Flood Management and Access Policy Advisor. Mari explained the current state of things in the UK and what farmers through to government can do. Mari, how water secure are we in the UK? And what level of shift will we need to make us more water secure?
3: So across the UK, we have a massive difference with our water security. So if you just take England, for example, we have um, surpluses in the north and quite extreme deficits in the south and the southeast. The problem that we have is that when we have too much water, it's what do we do with it? And when we don't have enough, it's how can we how can we move that surplus to those areas of deficit? Now, there's so many different contending things are in play when we think about water infrastructure, our own water security, and the main thing is is policy. There's so many different policies just now that we're kind of relying on making some massive, ambitious and innovative statements. There's the uh, national infrastructure statement that we're expecting. There's DEFRA's water policy statement, the flood and coastal erosion risk management strategy. And we've got the water Resources document that was published just the other week. So there's so many different contending things that all rely upon the Treasury for a budget. They rely upon skilled engineers to find a solution. But we, we have enough water here in, as a country and as a nation, but we need to just be clever about how we transport it. Now, there's a lot of talk about pipelines, like a pipeline from northwest to southeast. know that's a fair idea but the costs involved with that are pretty substantial but what we do have in our environment as it currently stands and in the countryside and going through our towns and cities are pipelines they're just called rivers and canals and ditches and drainage channels and it's how can we utilize what we've already got rather than looking for massive capital spend on on infrastructure but not ruling that out
2: all these different policies and statements and strategies and frameworks all these sorts of things would you say that they're joined up do they sort of make sense in terms of what we actually need and like you say what we the kind of resources that we have
3: no there's there, that's what's lacking is a joint up way of thinking you know we use this term quite a lot in farming it's a silo way of thinking, and that, sums up our UK water management to a T. We're not joining all these together and saying, well, how can we work together to overcome our water management problems? So if we're thinking about extreme flooding to then prolonged periods of dry weather, these are things that we should be able to manage and we can manage if we get the policy right. And I think what that requires is an integrated water management strategy. Now, the NFU has realised this. And we kind of started our thinking on this last year. It was almost a year, I think it was a year tomorrow, that Wayne Fleet breach happened, where we saw those Chinook helicopters dropping in tons and tons of aggregate into an earth flood defence to shore it up because it had breached. Now, whilst that was happening, the drainage boards in the area, as as they have done for decades, was pumping out 8 million cubic metres of fresh water into the North Sea over that two-week period. Now, at the same time, 53 miles away as the crow flies, a group of Norfolk farmers were meeting with the Environment Agency and lawyers to discuss abstraction licenses because their businesses were going under because they didn't have enough water, they didn't have access to water. And that's what sparked our enthusiasm, but also this just blatant need to join up our thinking of this as a sector, but also as, as a nation, so from government through to those operational bodies and farmers. We need to join up our way of thinking.
2: Yeah, it's a kind of a, a bit of a nut situation, isn't it it, is, to be it honest. Is. I mean, I, you know, I, I feel like scientists have been banging on about climate change and the uh, increased extreme weather events for decades and decades now. I mean, would it be fair to say that the UK government has been pretty complacent as far as water goes up until now?
3: 100% climate scientists for the last 3 decades if not more have been saying we need to prepare for this we need to change now we need infrastructure in place to safeguard our homes to protect our livelihoods and that includes agricultural land but nothing has happened and i'd say it wasn't until last year that you know the the government put out a statement last january that said 2019 is a year of green action and The NFU's response to that was, well, what about blue action? What about green-blue action? Because Mm. water is just as important as every other factor of climate change. And we're holding it as high as a regard, as our net zero ambition. It was in our general election manifesto. And if if we've had that much of a U-turn, then government needs to do the same. And yes, we're starting to hear small, little cheaps from Westminster that suggest that they're going to be looking into a water strategy that does join up the risks, so floods and droughts, but it's just not happening quick enough because we are already experiencing this extreme weather.
2: So let's start at the farm scale, and obviously every single farm is different and unique, but what can individual farmers do on their land to protect against the two extremes of flooding and drought?
3: There's loads of different things that you can do. Um, And I think it's easy for us to say, oh, government should do this, government should do that. But we need to lead from the front on this and say, look, this is what we are doing. Come on, pull your socks up and do the same. So it could be from small things like rainwater harvesters on barns. It could be water butts on small buildings as well. And that sounds pretty small, but you can get some really sophisticated uh, rainwater harvesting systems that you can then feed into your trickle irrigation. Or that's from a water resources perspective. Or you could also, for looking at ensuring that you've got water um, availability, you could think about irrigation ponds as something that could potentially be low cost. But there's barriers to this and there's a lot of regulatory barriers. And that's something that we're trying to work with the Environment Agency to help overcome. And then if you think about it from a flooding perspective, so, you know, one extreme to another, at the flood risk level, we could improve our on-farm risk we could look at where buildings are we could look at where we're going to build buildings in the future and make sure that they are perhaps a little bit higher up or have a higher freeboard height you could look at reducing your runoff across fields by building little earth buns that can kind of contain the water and stop it from traveling downstream across the land you could also look into other nature-based flood activities and they can be really simple things from making sure your drains are cleared out or diverting a drain to a soggy part of your field that doesn't really produce much and um, but then you're protecting fields downstream or you could the the impact of that can be big enough that it can actually reduce the peak downstream for our communities so you could team up with communities in In developing a flood alleviation scheme so there's there's a lot of different things you can do at farm level Um, some of them just sound really simple they could be make sure that you don't leave machinery next to a river we saw that in february a lot of machinery was washed away because it was so close to the river and the the high flows picked up and moved it but that that these are losses that you can avoid and i think it's just small steps like that can help to improve your business resilience
2: You just outlined some measures that won't cost much money, but there are obviously measures that would cost quite a lot of money, for example, building a reservoir. So Mm. things like that, you know, I feel at the moment we seem to, as a nation, we seem to be putting the financial onus to manage water often onto the farmer. Should actually other actors in the in the food system be pouring money into this so that it's more of a a national sort of infrastructure project so whether that's government or whether it's food manufacturers retailers so that the farmer isn't always having to shoulder that burden
3: yeah so reservoir is a good example because it's something that's so big and it's not just capital costs it's the impact it can have on the farm business going forward the reduction in productivity and these types of things that have to be considered, but also the value of the land going forward, you know, if it's to change hands or, or anything like that. That kind of scale isn't something that any farmer needs to consider on his own. These are things that we can do in partnership. So it could be working with a water company or teaming up with Natural England or a local flood alleviation group. You know, there's a lot of different people that are kind of looking for potential solutions so you, I don't think you'd have to go very far to look at somebody that can help you out, but I would sure wouldn't want to shoulder those kind of burdens. And there's a lot of regulations that you have to be dear to when it's that kind of scale. So maybe less reservoir and more irrigation pond, small scale is better for, for farmers to think of. But we we do need some some big infrastructure changes going forward to, to help reduce our risk.
2: Just wanted to touch on, coastal areas, Mari, what is happening there? I know that the the East Coast, for example, is pretty unprotected and we've obviously got some very, very important agricultural land along the East Coast.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So coastal flooding is the most destructive flooding that we experience as a country. The salinity in the, the world, well, the saline water increases the salinity of the soil depending on how long it's on the land. So what that means is that land can be out of production for up to nine years after a flood event a coastal flood event. So it's really important that we utilize and make the most of the flood def- the coastal flood defences that we have. But we have neglected our coastal flood defences for the last half century easily. There's currently two parts of the east coast- the eastern coastline that's protected. One is Wrangell Seabank, which recently was raised due to partnership funding and farmers donating material and land in kind. And the other is London from the Thames Barrier. When I say protected, I'm looking at uh, climate change scenarios. So if we're thinking of sea level rise, we're thinking of potential storm surges and the risk of high rainfall events. Merging these three things together, we create something that we call the perfect storm. And that's when you get the devastating flood events. We had breaches of the eastern seawall back in 2013, some of which still hasn't been repaired. But we just have lost the sight of that. We've lost the vision of what those sea defences actually protect. And that is some of the most agricultural land in England. And currently, as it stands, the Environment Agency's long-term investment scenarios, which were published last year, suggested that we needed £1.1 billion a year to maintain our flood defences against current risk, so not considering climate change. And the budget this year, back in March, which seems an age away, but wasn't actually that long ago, was fantastic. And it, it was a big uh, increase, but still not enough. Not enough when you think about Environment Agency's own investment scenarios suggesting what we actually need.
2: What would you like the UK to look like in terms of its infrastructure and policies and systems around water management?
3: If we think back first, we haven't done much water infrastructure-wise since the 70s. The last big dam that we built was around the late 70s um, for a reservoir for drinking water. We've also not really done any thinking of transporting of water as a resource since since the seventies as well when the Denver complex was built in the Fens. And so now we need to think that along those lines. You know, we we have in our history and in our past, we've done some amazing engineering work that's allowed us to farm the land that we regard so highly today. Some of the best agricultural land in the UK is only there because engineers drained it. Now that was in the sixteen hundreds and We that land is just as important now as they saw it had the potential to be back then but going forward not much maybe on the large scale is going to change in the next five years because policy takes a while we're pretty delayed with the goings on in Westminster just now and I don't see things moving that quickly but what we can do is start to take those smaller scale steps that will help alleviate the pressure in the short term so Irrigation ponds, like I said, looking at nature-based solutions for protecting your business, but also risk management authorities also have a responsibility to ensure that we have a reduced level of risk when it comes to flooding or drought. So we need to be working really closely with them and making sure that we kind of protect our assets, which is our agricultural land and our ability to produce food and ornamentals going forward.
2: What would you hope things could be like in, say, 10 years time 15 years time when hopefully policies are in place
3: yeah i think in long term i'd like us to be a water secure nation so that we are resilient to flooding we are resilient to prolonged periods of dry weather because we have this more joint up way of thinking we have a utilized infrastructure that we have we've planned and created new innovative engineered infrastructure that can transport water to those to areas that need it we have thought of clever ways of storing surplus water that won't increase the rates of evaporation but will help to increase uh, water table levels and then be used later on in the year when it's required or be transported to an area where it's required that's how i see us in 10 to 15 years you know, if we have a massive shakeup now and we have this policy if this policy works and if they think ambitiously enough into it then we have the potential to do this and to be honest we are already experiencing climate change we have a lot of predicted models out there of what we can expect so we do have to be ambitious in our thinking going forward and we do need to to safeguard water because it is precious we can't grow crops without it we can't survive without it but It's just not being considered as important as other things at the minute, which is baffling.
4: CLA members own or manage around half of the rural land in England and Wales and run more than 250 types of businesses. The in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership. And during this COVID crisis, the CLA has never been more important to landowners of any size. To find out more, go to www.cla.org.uk.
2: That was Dr. Mari Barnes at the NFU. Now, our next guest explains what we can learn from other countries about water management.
4: My name is Ines Thompson and I'm the Chief Executive of ADA, which is the Association of Drainage Authorities. And ADA is effectively a membership organisation that represents the interests of all those uh, that manage uh, water levels, flood risk management across England, Wales and in fact Scotland and Northern Ireland as well.
2: I know that ADA is also a member of the EU Water Management Association, which pulls research and understanding about water management issues across Europe. You've got three really good examples, Ennis, of other countries in Europe that are doing interesting things with their water
4: management. I will talk through two examples in France, I think, which are very useful to consider. One is the, the river Durance, which is in the southern Alps, other example i will use is also uh, a mediterranean destined river which is the river ero which is over near bezier and uh, montpellier and both of those rivers the reason i mention those rivers is that they take water effectively from quite mountainous and uh, water plentiful areas or generally water plentiful areas into areas of really uh, difficult water supply at certain times of year, particularly over the summer seasons in the Mediterranean basin. The challenges there are that you have quite a lot of high-value agricultural production in these areas. You also have increasingly significant environmental pressures on the rivers during the summer period, losing their flows. And the example there is that it is absolutely essential for all users to be sitting around the table and coming to pragmatic and practical solutions between all those users about what and who uh, gets certain proportions of water uh, to keep everything in running order. The durance is a particularly interesting example. For those that know the durance, it is uh, heavily used for uh, nuclear power production and therefore requires large quantities of cooling water for these particular stations. And the energy sector is working very closely with the agricultural sector in the Durance to make sure that neither one nor the other is disadvantaged. And what it is certainly forcing both sectors to do is to think about the efficiency of how they use the water that they need for each of their activities.
2: Now, moving on to, I think, Spain and Portugal are interesting examples, aren't they? Because they're obviously both very dry, um, very dry southern European countries, but Spain in particular has a very large agricultural sector that, that the UK relies on a lot in terms of fruit and vegetables. What is happening there? Because those two countries have taken quite an interesting approach and quite a forward-thinking approach, haven't they?
4: I think one of the first things I would say is that we are still here in the United Kingdom. We still operate to what I would call a reactive approach to natural events. So whether it is a flood or a drought, we tend to sort of see it coming and then react to it. If you go down to Spain, you're quite right to Say that the Spanish, and in fact, the Portuguese as well do this, they have got a proactive approach, particularly to water management. Uh, and what I mean by that is that because they are a sort of semi arid and obviously they've got Mediterranean basin weather to enjoy but also to contend with, they take a five year planning horizon on making sure that they've got enough water supply to be able to manage their. Agricultural needs and, of course, their water supply needs to the population over a five year period. And they plan around that five year cycle so that they've got that buffer of water supply for the five years. And a really good example, Jez, is an example just immediately upstream of the city of Cordoba in southern Spain, where the San Rafael Reservoir is a reservoir that has got just that capacity to stock five years worth of water supply for the immediate area and all the agricultural needs around it and the clever bit is that the reservoir itself produces electricity when there is surplus water but equally when there is not enough water it is close enough to the main river that they reverse the flow of the or they take the river flow and pump the river when it has got excess water up into the reservoir. So they've got a balanced approach of being able to either use water for energy supply when they've got too much or take water, for example, in the winter period out of the local river, which is quite a sizable river, uh, and pump it into the reservoir to top the reservoir up during the winter.
2: Mm, Okay, so all those gallons and gallons of water that would normally, you know, know, flood or end up just in the sea are actually going straight into a reservoir so we're kind of capturing more in the those sort of wet months to make sure that there's there's enough water for when it's dry
4: Exactly and, and you know and I think that is something I do strongly recommend that Britain is going to have to start taking more of a proactive approach not only to water resources but also to how it manages its flooding as well
2: So what what about Portugal what's what's going on there
4: Now then Portugal has been Largely led by another phenomenon which has been significantly increasing energy costs uh, in Portugal. Traditionally, a lot of water, again, was in, in the flatland areas. and I'm going to use the example of the River Tagus estuary, uh, and a particularly um, the section uh, slightly further upstream from Lisbon near Salvaterra, where there is effectively an offtake from the Tagus River, Uh, which takes water into a very, very fertile area of land, which is used for high production horticultural crops in general, tomatoes and the like. And traditionally, there has been uh, relatively free pumping uh, to take that water onto the various fields. But the energy costs have... have, uh, A, energy costs have made that prohibitive, but B, the authorities have also been putting restrictions on the amount of water taken off the river tagus because the tagus itself has been suffering from drought conditions on a more frequent basis so the local farming community has had to take steps to adjust how they deliver water onto their crops and again that is now done by very carefully calculated drip feed systems where the the water is all monitored by uh, meters, telemetry control, it's all computerized by the local internal drainage board so that they know exactly who's getting what quantity of water and those people are then charged for the water that they are receiving and so it incentivizes good practice and that they only take the amount of water that they absolutely need for the crop that they're growing.
2: We've clearly got a lot to learn in the UK, I think, haven't we, from other countries who are ahead of us on this and like you say, taking a more proactive forward thinking approach to this. If you sort of look, say, five, ten years ahead, what would you like to see you know, what would you like it to look like in the UK in terms of water management?
4: Well, we've got a bit of work to do because in terms of the moving of the water naturally around all our various channels our ditches our drains our rivers we first of all need to spend some money in making sure they're in really tip-top condition in making them in tip-top condition in fact there will be an environmental benefit in that as well because they will become fantastic natural corridors but number one priority is to get us to a position where that water can flow relatively easily we've got a lot of choked watercourses at the moment and the drainage boards do their best to keep those watercourses under control. But it's not just the drainage boards, the Environment Agency have to play their part. We can also ask for the Canals and Rivers Trust to play their part and if everyone is working together we can get that flow of water. There's one thing I have not mentioned of course which is groundwater. And that is also where our water supply companies form an essential part of this network of water. And there's a really good example in the Fens area where Anglian Water, if they are not needing supplies of water, are currently providing millions of litres of water into the agricultural sector.
2: Do you think that farmers in the UK can be hopeful about the state of water management in in the years to come? especially in terms of you know dealing with more extreme weather events
4: right look I'm very positive about where this is all going I think I'm going to go we need to be far more hopeful. I think everyone needs to be proactive everyone needs to be enthusiastic about how we can deal with it we've got enough water in the UK we're very fortunate in that respect we've just got to think about how we manage it and use it more wisely and everyone has got a part to play uh, in that and the farming community I know through my discussions with a large number of them are absolutely up for working with the authorities in understanding how we manage that water a lot more effectively and the balance has to be Jez between flood and drought so that yes we have to accept that there will be excess water at some points of the period but when we haven't got enough how do we a bit like a battery how do we actually hold on to some of that water in places so that we can make use of it when we need to
1: thanks jez looking at what others are doing overseas could really help in terms of developing a workable water policy Now, usually at this time of year, the FG team would be ringside reporting on all the action from shows up and down the country. But of course, this isn't a normal year. We know many of you will have earmarked a potential winner to take to an event, or you might be a young handler looking forward to showing a new calf. Well, if this sounds familiar, we think we've got the perfect competition for you. Here with me now is FG's livestock editor, Katie Jones. Katie, what's the competition all about, and how can people get involved?
5: So, Liv, we really wanted to give something back to our readers. As you'll know, the summer shows is a big part of what we do um, during the summer months, and we're asking. And readers to send in pictures of their livestock so any stockmen that would have been at a show this year we are urging you to send in some pictures and then we're going to get a panel of judges to to judge these pictures and pick winners so it's going to be open to dairy cattle, beef cattle, sheep and pigs. We're not asking for you to send in professional pictures these will be photos that you've taken yourself on your camera or on your phone. We're going to be providing some top tips later in the summer telling you how best to get those really good photos. But for now, we want you to send in your photos and for more information, see this week's Farmers Guardian and FGinsight.com and also keep an eye on our social media channels, in particular FG Shows and Sales. And The the winner will receive a prize and also, all the pictures entered will appear on our FG Shows and Sales Facebook page, which has over 15,000 followers and the winning pictures will be printed in Farmers Guardian, so it's a really good shop window for you to showcase your stock this year oh that sounds great and it, and it's you know as you say shows really are a, a shop window to agriculture aren't they
1: and, and people are really going to miss them this year aren't they
5: yeah and and we'll miss them the reporters that would have been up and down the country this year we will we'll really miss them we'll, we'll miss seeing all those friendly faces shows are a great time to catch up with people to do business and you know next year hopefully 2021 will be a great year for shows and i know there's a lot of show organisers that are putting in plans in place now to make sure that next year their shows are bigger and better than ever but in the meantime we really want you to get involved with this so it's it should be a great competition and we're looking forward to seeing lots of great pictures
0: i know i'm really looking forward to seeing those pictures of the stock that we know are produced to such a high standard year in year out. It's poignant that we do this podcast in what would have been the Royal Highland Show Week and which is one of the biggest and best shows in the UK, but I'm sure all the shows and all the show committees are planning to be back in 2021 and coming back stronger. You can find more information about how to enter the competition on the FG Shows and Sales Facebook page and also at fginsight.com forward slash shows. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform to keep notified of all the new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. We'll be back, as ever, next Tuesday. But from us at Farmers Guardian and the team at the CLA, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.